<laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. I still haven't figured out how I'm actually going to do these these intros properly. 103? Does that work? Yes, 103. Whatever works for My name is David and we'll be the NCP crew. Richo. 103rd is actually a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely use that. Or 103, which is an actual number. You could use that as well. No, it's not, because it's one of my pet peeves is when people call a zero an O. Uh, Luke. The problem with one, uh, one, uh, 103 is it makes it sound like, you know, when you string it all together, that the Nerd Culture Podcast 103 are going to go on bomb Iraq. So. <laughs> That's so true. And Crystal. 103. Why are you people so mean? I'm just happy to be on the... Episode 103 of No Culture Podcast, that's all. Did we learn anything from the last episode, from the episode 101 with the you know, life lessons? Like, be excellent to each other. You mean episode 101? I'm gonna that you. was a good episode, 101. I liked it. Seriously, I'm going to punch you in the face. And you're going to like it. <laughs> when I slap you, you'll take it and you'll like it. Take it easy, man. For this episode, we have two dust jackets and an assortment of reviews. But first up, some news. SDCC, which is San Diego Comic Con, came to a close last weekend, uh, and there was a number of interesting things to come out of it. In fact, some of these things were revealed about 20 minutes after we stopped recording <laughs> last Sunday, so <laughs> that was a bit frustrating. But I, it was, they, they, they do it to hurt. They do it. They do it. They do it on purpose. That's all right. Uh, but there was some interesting stuff to, to check out when we finished recording. And I went back to, went to my computer and turned the news on, and I was after like, after you finished crying oh the man tears, <laughs> when you cried the man tears. <laughs> But uh, so anyway, so so uh, we're gonna. So obviously, this news is about a week late, but we're we're following up with it. Now, uh, first off, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, this is this. Remember, this was back before it was actually even officially released. Uh, they and Marvel was announced a sequel <laughs> to it already, so they were pretty uh, pretty high on the buzz, the pre pre release buzz. Well, the yeah, re- I mean, they, they were, were good. The, not just that though, the pre ticket sales, yeah. were already at about sixty million. So. You know, it was pretty big. Why, why not go for a sequel? And you know that that's what the numbers are going to be. So there's a sequel announced uh, for July 28, 2017, um, and there was also they also released a set of dates uh, that they've set in set in place for films, but haven't mentioned what those films are. Um, there's been a bit, a bit of fan uh, speculation about it, and there was one guy that released like every single film and their title uh, title things, but that turned out to be fake. So I didn't, I didn't have that in the news, but. There's some there's some interesting conjecture going on, especially a doc, uh, Doctor Stephen Strange film. Well, the, I think the, it looks, sounds the, pretty cool, and well, a Black Panther. Well, they're already. I mean, they seem to be already talking casting rumors and directorial rumors and things like that. So yeah. I'm assuming that one's got the green light. It's just a question of which date it yeah. actually matches up with. No, we've got to. I mean, it's, it's, it, like I said, they're casting rumors, so we've got to make sure that it actually is true. Do uh, do our comic book films get the green light, or do they get the Green Lantern? <laughs> oh, bazine! That's just the standard for the comedy of the day. Uh, but uh, not to be outdone, DC uh, brought out their heavy hitters in the cast of Batman vs Superman, um, and I think Jack Snyder was there as well. Uh, and they uh, answered some questions and stuff like that. But they also screened an exclusive clip from the film. It was a huge reaction on the interwebs. They're actually, they've they've since then they've they've been taking it off. Every single person that puts it up on YouTube. It gets taken back off. If you put it up on your private website, you get hit with a notice. Mm. They're just—they're not mucking around. Copyright infringement. So, and they've also revealed that that, that clip will never actually be released. Um, it is basically just part of the film, and so you just need to see the film to see it. But luckily enough, I managed to see it before I got taken down, and 
it was pretty cool. It wasn't as I don't think it's necessary to be this heavy handed on the copyright infringement stuff, but it was very very cool. Mm. It harkens back to the to the Dark Knight Returns. Um, so basically, essentially, it was. Uh, it starts with uh, a shadowy figure taking off a bit, a bit of tarp off the bat sig- signal, which then gets twitched on and then lit, lights up the sky, the cloudy sky. It always seems to be cloudy over Gotham. I don't know what the deal is. Um, the bat signal won't work. Otherwise, the signal won't work. That's right. So there just happened to be a cloud right there. Uh, and um, to then you see two red glowing eyes in the sky, and then Superman's uh, outline is there. So we see Supes. And then it goes cuts back to the figure who turns out, to, of course, to be Batman, uh, and he's wearing his metal armor um, from Dark Knight Returns, like I mentioned. And then his eyes start to glow, glow uh, white, and that's it. So it's like thirty seconds. Yeah, look, this is um, absolutely brilliant marketing yeah. on DC's part. I mean, talk talk about fantastically getting fans fired up. It's like, oh, we showed it at San Diego, and they've come out and said, oh, but it's only for the San Diego fans. Yeah. And now they're stopping it from being spread. I mean, it's it's brilliant marketing. Yeah. Um, and look, it, it looked cool, you know, but, you know, I just have no faith whatsoever in Zack Snyder or David Goy to make this anything other than, you know, how cool is Batman? Yeah. Really, you know, exactly. I mean, yeah. you know, let's face facts, Superman's most likely going to get owned by Batman because, <laughs> you know, Goy, Batman is the only character Goya seems to know how to write. So... <laughs> Yeah, look, that could be harsh. I could, I could be proven wrong, but okay. based on the strength of Man of Steel or the yeah. lack thereof, I'm not, I'm not convinced that we're going to get anything other than, ooh, look at how shiny and cool this is. Yeah, it was, it was, it did look awesome. Even the the poor quality that I had it was basically someone on his phone <laughs> on an angle, and his reaction was pretty cool. He was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But I mean, I, I'm with you actually. I, I, I didn't like Man of Steel and. I have no faith in this in this film at all. Yeah. But that clip did look awesome, I will admit. So as long as it's it's kept up for the rest of the film, we'll, we'll see how we go. I'm imagining that, um, much like Man of Steel, the fight sequence will be awesome. Like, it'll be yeah. a big, massive fight. It'll look wonderful. But the story around it will have basically no substance whatsoever. Yeah, but that, that, that's, that's, that's what it. I'm imagining. That is it in a nutshell. <laughs> it's going to be long, boring, action-y action sequences. And That'll look pretty. Yeah. That, that will be long and boring. Yeah. <laughs> It'll all be dark and gritty and filtered. We'll see how it goes. I have no interest filters. in watching the action sequence whatsoever. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's where we differ. Is I, I want to see the action sequences. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, the other Batman versus Superman news was, of course, the revelation of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Uh, but more specifically, we already knew she was playing her, but more specifically her outfit. Um, now, it's uh, in keeping with the the rest of the the revealed photos. It's its colour palette is pretty ordinary. Uh, I'm actually hoping that's not exactly what it looks like in the film because it's very washed-out brownie. It's kind brownie. of muted. It kind of um, looks like Xena's costume. More that, than... Exactly right. It basically looks like a cross between Xena and sort of some of her comic... I actually didn't mind it. First mm. of all, I actually think Girl Got It looks looks quite good as Wonder Woman. Yeah, it looks, uh, it looks pretty cool. Looks, I mean, she looks powerful. She looks, you know, she looks like a warrior. But um, I looked at this not so much as this is Wonder Woman's costume. I looked at it more along the lines of this is a woman that's come from an ancient, you know, warrior woman, um, Greek lost tribe. Yeah. And I'm assuming the actual Wonder Woman costume itself won't actually appear either until maybe the end of this film or until they do the Justice League film. And then this, to me, looked like she's come from the island and this is the warrior outfit that she's wearing. I think that's a that's, nice point. That's how they'll play yeah. the, the character, you know, and that she won't actually necessarily become Wonder Woman until 
later on. But even honestly, even if that's not the case, yeah, um, I didn't mind this. Like I said, she looks like a warrior woman. Yeah, you know? I, I didn't mind. Um, it. I, actually, I actually think she looks pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the 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 controversy was the Xena connection, um, and uh, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, she looks like a Greek warrior from that time and that place, so that, could, that makes terrific sense. Uh, the other the other bit of controversy was her shoes. Um, so she's wearing she's to be to be clear she's actually wearing wedges, but they kind of they they're essentially heeled boots. And the the, the outcry is really quite ridiculous. I think I would be shocked if she wasn't. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Um, but but I mean, superhero costumes aren't meant to be practical or real. You know. There's no way you'd go to battle in a superhero costume. <laughs> yes. in, in, You're on the in, money. in real life, they're meant to look cool and sexy and iconic. Gotcha. That's really the thing. Yeah. A... You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, I may not agree with the costumes, but that's what they're—they're they're, they're not meant. You're not meant to be. You're not going to be seeing Wonder Woman out battling for Afghanistan or anything. <laughs> that was awesome. But that's that's exactly it. I look. I you know I don't care about the heels. I mean it's it's. I mean, I think Crystal hits the nail right on the head. It's just, it's, it's what they do. And, you know, it would have made more sense to have her in flats. I'm going to wait until I see the way that Wonder Woman is actually depicted in the film. Yeah. Before I start going off on tirades about things. You know, one, one photo is not enough to tell me whether this is going to be a great depiction of the character or not. Yeah. And all I'm concerned about is, is Wonder Woman a strong female character? Is she independent? Is she a warrior woman? You know, all the stuff that makes the character, you know, great to begin with and iconic to begin with. If that's there, I'll have no problem with it. Yeah. That's, really, that's pretty much it. I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go and see the film because you guys will go and see the film. I may enjoy it. I may not enjoy it. That's the extent of it, really. The other bit of news was the Deadpool test footage. Um, now, I, I have a... a a friend of mine who is uh, very excited, Mr. Blacksword, is <laughs> a huge lifelong Deadpool fan, and uh, and, I can, and I admit, I actually I can see why because this test this test footage was uh, was pretty cool. It's the, it's funny though it was the test footage is uh, was leaked, um, and then strangely enough re leaked in HD, which I thought was quite <laughs> funny. Um, the, the rumor was that Blur Studios uh, leaked it themselves. They've actually come out and said that's not the case. But to be honest with you, I don't believe him. <laughs> I think it was intentionally linked in HD. Uh, so, so if you're a fan of the character, it's it's a pretty cool little clip. I mean, it does. It's very Deadpool-y. I mean, he even he even breaks the fourth wall and he does all that sort of business that he does. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. If like I said, if you're a fan of the character, it's pretty exciting. I'll go see it. It's Ryan Reynolds, so obviously I'm going to see it. <laughs> but, uh, are you are you man crushing again? <laughs> you know, I love Ryan. <laughs> there's no there's no shame in that. Uh, to to be fair to him, this is certainly a better uh, choice of character for him than Green Lantern was. Yeah, but um, I'm, I must admit, I'm just not really a Deadpool fan. Yeah, and it's um, for, it's for the fans. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. Cool. So that's uh, that's it for the news. There was other there was other uh, announcements as well. Of course, um, you know, being SDCC, there was it was a whole heap of stuff. Um, not quite as many as, as you would expect from San Diego. It was yeah, I've got to say, San Diego. That, it was a bit over, underwhelming. San Diego is actually, to be honest with you, San Diego has actually disappointed me for the last couple of years. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. So before we uh, before we move on to our dust jackets, I did want to just uh, bring up some uh, feedback that we got from our last episode. This is actually pretty cool. It's the, the second biggest response to our contest of champions that we've had since uh, Kirk versus Solo, which is our best ever response we've ever got. People were really upset. Uh, but uh, in our last episode, we did a contest of champions with um, Buffy versus River versus X twenty three versus Psylocke in a bit of a in a bit of a brawl. 
and uh, people have let their opinions be known. <laughs> it's, uh, so basically, the way that just very briefly, the way the fight worked out is that Buffy went up against Psylocke and won, and then uh, X went up against River and won, and so then it was Buffy and X, and Buffy ended up winning. Like I said, I had uh, quite a bit of uh, feedback to that. So the main, it's the general consensus has been that Psylocke uh, should have beaten Buffy, um, and that X should have won outright. Uh, now, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. But we had, I just want to point out that we had in, you know, in story reasons for why Buffy ended up winning. Um, so all I, all I can say, I guess, is that I really appreciate the fact that have had, people have had such strong reactions to it, which I think is awesome. Uh, to address the feedback about the cheating with the demon, there is no cheating if there are no rules. <laughs> you can't break so... the rules. If there aren't any rules to be broken. That's so true. That is so true. That's what I meant by our in-story. I mean, we had an in-story reason for yeah. why Buffy was back to, back to this. So, yeah, to know. be fair, though, I've got to agree. I think Psylocke would beat Buffy. Psylocke is psychic and could I just shut Buffy down. I mean, that's... And then stab her a hundred times. Like, that's, <laughs> she doesn't have her telepathic abilities anymore. I find, I she only find has it... her telekinetic abilities. Right, so she could actually just bombard Buffy from a million miles away and... <laughs> <laughs> Buffy would never get anywhere near her. I find it fascinating people getting fired up over. Yeah, it is kind these of are uh, fictional characters. <laughs> but I love that. That's what I, that is yeah. what I want. Yeah. I want people to get fired up. No, no, I'm just saying it's fascinating. <laughs> well, I, I think it's awesome that uh, that people got up as fired up as they did, and uh, and you know, I can see what you're saying. <laughs> but still, Buffy won. That's all that matters. <laughs> Umpire's decision stands. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was cool. So uh, keep it up. We'll have another contest of champions next week, and uh, we'll see how that, if that gets anybody fired up. We'll see what happens. So uh, let's move on to our dust jackets. Right, so let's start off with dust jacket number one: "More Than Human" by Theodore Sturgeon. Yes, um, More Than Human by Theodore Sturgeon. As per our sci-fi list's list of greatest science fiction novels of all time, this one was actually number 94 on the list. It was published in 1953 um, and was actually uh, the winner of the 1953 International Fantasy Award, which, um, from what I can understand, seems to be a precursor to things like the Hugo Awards. And But the, there was actually another reason why um, I, I wanted to read this book, and that is that... Um, it is highly regarded by science fiction writers. Mm. Like, a, a lot of the writers, you read interviews with them, and they talk about this book with almost, like, reverence mm. uh, to this novel. Why is novel. it so low on the list, then? Well, because that list is voted for by just readers. Fans. It's not necessarily voted for by science fiction writers. Yeah. Or, you know, they'd probably all be putting their own books at the top of the list. <laughs> Which makes sense. Uh, More Than Human is, basically, it's the story of a series of outcasts who are all, I guess you would call them incomplete. Well, they get called misfits. Yeah, mi- misfits, outcasts, people who don't see themselves as being you know, complete and whole beings individually. But when they come together, they form a gestalt mm. being. And so they become uh, a whole being, but only you know the sum of the parts basically coming together and therefore the, the whole is, is greater because of that. Yeah. Um, um, and with each character introduced, they are sort of uh, either... They have things like what we would consider today to be things like autism or Asperger's or... Yeah. Um, Physical deformities. Something that actually sets them apart, which means that they're actually not a complete person in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, for instance, Lone, our first character is... Um, cons- he's... I'm going to use Sturgeon, so he's actually considered an idiot. 
Mm. Um, like I said, today you'd be considered autistic, to use more uh, PC terms, but mm. once upon a time it was considered an, it was considered an idiot. And, but it's through his interactions with the others that he actually, that the part that makes him important actually really comes to the fore. Mm. So the book is actually divided up into um, basically three novelettes. The first one is called The Fabulous Idiot and is actually the story of Lauren, the character that uh, Luke has mentioned. It should be pointed out too that each of these beings actually has some form of psychic power. Telepaths, telekinetics, teleporters. But basically what happens is you you start with the story of Lauren and um, he chooses that name for himself because he sees himself as a being who is totally alone in the world. But little by little, he actually gathers these people around him a six-year-old girl called Janie, who is a telekinetic, mm-hmm. and through her, Bonnie and Beanie, who are actually two um, African-American twins who don't speak. Uh, they only make hee-hee uh, and hoo-hoo noises. And also Baby. And Baby is basically um, a... Um, well, the, the term that Surgeon uses is uh, mentally retarded. Mm. Um, baby who never actually grows, like, he's also physically stunted, like, Baby never actually grows beyond the size of a baby. But Baby is also a supercomputer mm. with, you know, an incredible processing mind. Mm. So book, book one deals with the birth of the Gestalt being, mm. um, with Lauren acting as the head. Yeah. It's not called the Gestalt being just yet. That term no. gets thrown around in the second book. The thing about this is that it's a nice introduction to the characters, but there's a lot of jumping around, so it takes a while mm. to actually... Uh, cement um, and to work out really to sort of get a sense of what actually is going on Um, and I think that's probably the that's probably the big flaw of Mm. of this opening it you know wondering wondering who the focus is it does come together to the end when they actually build um, a device that Lone thinks is going to you know Lone doesn't think is going to be anything special just going to help him with his farmer friend with their truck and it turns out to be you know the first anti-gravity device ever developed ever built and that comes back into play in book three. It does, however, give us also... I mean, the, the point that is made by the end of book one, um, a line that uh, Baby actually tells to Janie, because Janie is the only one that can really communicate with Baby, mm. and she does it by uh, communicating with Baby through the twins. Mm. But uh, the line that Baby uses is, um, the I is all of us. Mm. And that pretty much sums them up. They, as the, the individual is all of them together. And that's really the first signs that this is a, a, a gestalt being. Book two is called uh, Baby is Three. This is the actual original novella story uh, written by Sturgeon. It was published first in Galaxy magazine. And I, I think it's actually the strongest of the three stories yeah. because of that. The, the first book is clearly um, just set up for this story. What really what happens in 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 uh, book two is that you see the Gestalt being actually growing up, and a big part of that is due to the introduction of a character called Jerry. Basically, Lone is considered the head of the Gestalt being, and in that first book, he's there because they need to be born and they need to come together and everything. But for the Gestalt being to make that next step, he has to die and be replaced, and he actually finds Jerry and brings Jerry into um, the Gestalt to be the new head, and through Jerry. Um, the gestalt being begins to develop. They begin to first understand that they are a gestalt being and what that actually means. Mm. But the, um, the interesting thing about this story is that it's not quite so linear as um, the way that Richard's describing it. It's actually Jerry realising that something's happened to him um, and that he has done something. And he goes and sees a psychologist called Stern 
in an attempt to talk about what's happened and to actually bring that out. And he's quite mm. resistant to stomach, some of Stern's techniques, um, but eventually it, that's how the, um, the, the full story actually emerges as to what's, what he's done and what's going on. And I think that's really what makes this, um, this chapter work. You get the mm. history, but you also get the back and forth between the psychologist and the patient, and the, psych- the patient being resistant to the psychologist, and the psychologist slowly starting to become interested in what the patient's story is. The other part of this book too, though, is that um, Jerry Jerry is required for the gestalt being to survive, mm. but Jerry is also ruthless, mm. and he's described as being morally empty. Mm. Um, so the gestalt being needs somebody like that to actually get through this, to actually survive this period of its development. But at the same time, they're still not a fully formed entity because they have no 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 um, moral core. They have no ethos. You know, it's, it's really almost, almost like a survival instinct more than anything else mm. that brings Jerry into it. Which then brings us to um, book three, the final book, which is um, actually called uh, Morality. Um, at this point, about... Well, uh, Janie's in her 20s by, mm. by book three, so... About 10 to 15. Let, let's say 15 years, roughly, has passed mm. since the end of book two. Book three is actually told from the perspective of a character called Hip, who is... Uh, Air Force pilot, and um, he basically has no memory of of his past, and he's slowly beginning to unravel what what happened to him in the past um, with the help of Janie, mm. and you find out through that that there's there's been some I guess problems with the gestalt being that yes. um, you know certain things. So and and she's kind of trying basically trying to bring him into the gestalt being effectively to teach them about ethos and about morality mm. um, because she understands that that's the next step that they've got to take. Yeah. Re- really what it is, what each of these books is, is really the development of a, of a new life form, mm. of a new gestalt being. And, it, and and you come to understand that that being is essentially um, the next step in human evolution. Mm. Well, the whole idea um, is, you know, one of symbiosis and, you know, all life forms actually working mm. in conjunction with each other. Absolutely. To progress, you know, life yeah. as we know it, not just in human terms, but, you know, vegetable and mineral and and other animal terms as well for i think that's the key thing with this book and i think that's partly why a lot of people actually rave about it i I think it's it's good um i'm not uh was it didn't blow me away as much as a lot of people talk about it um i think a lot of the the um the teething problems at the start which i've already mentioned don't help plus also throughout the second and third book I, i would have liked a little bit more about how seeing how the gestalt being actually works as a team um, in everyday life, you get more. You get too much from one perspective and not enough about the whole. If that makes sense. Yeah, there. Are, I, th- I think though, there's some. Uh, I think part of what makes this book so well regarded is that, in many respects, it's all. It's it's almost a, a prototype of of mm. a lot of the aspects of what make up the new wave mm. that comes after it. Um, you know, the 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 characters are all outsiders they're outcasts they're people that feel incomplete that they're not part of the society that mm. they're that that they're, they're uh, connected with but also sturgeon gives incredible amount of character mm. yes. um in this novel like a lot more actual character character development and study of human nature and human psychology a lot more than what you got from a lot of the science fiction books around this time. And I think that's where a lot of its appeal comes from, especially to that, that next generation of science fiction writers. Um, you know, people, I mean, Robert Silverberg absolutely praises this book. 
Um, so does Ray Bradbury. Uh, Delaney is another one. You know, that's, it's like you can see how a book like this might have influenced those guys that come up through the 60s. But then the 60s guys sort of took it that extra extra step. Mm. And so reading it now, and I, I did, I really enjoyed the novel. I found it really fascinating. I love the philosophy of it and the psychology of it. But I, I can also see that there are probably better examples of this book after this book yeah. came along. Better examples of this type of story. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's clearly a, an important and pivotal novel in science fiction and has a, a, a level of... Um, Sophistication, guess, I'd say. Yeah, and, and quality to it that perhaps mm. you know some of the more sort of pulpy novels of the time didn't have. But unlike a lot of the books, a lot of the stories, and a lot of the science fiction culture at the time, which was all about interplanetary war and um, how we were going to live in the far future, this is about people who've lived sort of in the here and now. Mm. And with a, le- with a level of introspection as well that yeah. and there's was not, not very prevalent. In there's not a lot of external time. conflict in this. It's all about yeah. how it's all about the internal conflict of the characters. Um, I, I did enjoy this in the end. Um, I thought the second book was the, the by far the strongest. Yeah. Um, but I thought the way that they handled Jerry's story, uh, the way he handled Jerry's story, was actually quite well done. And I liked Hip's story as well. I did yeah. actually want to know what was going on. And that part of the reason why I think books two and three work a lot better than book one. Is that there is the is that there is more of a mystery as to there is actually a specific question what happened why did it happen and and also more of a focus on a specific character or a specific part of the the gestalt as yeah. well um, and we're seeing the, the formation of the team formation of effectively the team um, at the start needed a clearer focus with a clearer through line as well although I think you get a little bit of that in book three through. I guess the dysfunction mm. of it of the gestalt, so that you get an understanding of what the gestalt mm. is actually missing, mm. and the elements that needs to become a whole being. Because yep. really, this is about birth and development mm. and how we evolve as as life forms. So, mm. but yeah, look, I'm, I this is actually a, a very well written novel. I would recommend uh, anybody that wants to first of all read a good book with really good, strong characterization, a good philosophical message. It's well worth it. But also, if you if you're looking at um, I guess, like I said, the prototype, how science fiction developed from its pulp origins through books like this into the new wave. Mm. It's definitely well worth reading for that as mm. well. Um, and look, I would give it uh, four Lukes. This really should be a guide for anyone who wants to write the X-Men. Dysfunctional, disunity, interesting powers, but uh, people trying to work so close. You know, I give this three and a half Lukes. Cool. Uh, so next up we've got uh, Dust Jacket number two, which is The Humans by Matt Haig. Totally coincidental that we're both reading books with humans in the title. <laughs> it's the all-human special. <laughs> NCP, do humans. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think that came out the way you wanted it to come out. <laughs> oh, did um, So I chose this book based on a recommendation by... Stephen Fry, yeah, our personal friend, Stephen. <laughs> good, good, good mate. <laughs> That's just our business. You're not that's in love with the man. Good, good, yeah, good friend, Stephen. Um, no, he tweeted it out. He doesn't um, very often tweet out recommendations, but so when he recommended this, I thought I'll, I'll give it a go. Seemed to have similar tastes. So I'll have a look at it. The book is by Matt Haig, uh, and it's basically about. It's not about a dog, contrary to the cover. Every time someone's seen the cover, they thought it's about a dog. It's not about a dog. It's it's not a fluke-type story. <laughs> um, when I started reading it, I actually felt it was kind of Adams-ish, Adams-esque, uh, Douglasy. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> you covered all the bases. <laughs> but, but this it, book as, is Douglasy. <laughs> as I, as I kept reading it, sort of, it developed more of its own style. It's 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 more it's it's let's say it's Matt Hagish. <laughs> um, it's basically uh, what's happened is Professor. Uh, this is where the editor comes <laughs> God. What, what you know, say? you're encouraging them, but you be pointed. <laughs> you're going, oh, what's Come on, that was like? funny. What did he say? I pee freely. <laughs> but say intellectual property freely? <laughs> Professor Andrew Martin has sold a mathematical equation that his name escapes me at the moment, which basically means humans can move to the next level in evolution. But these aliens do not want this to happen. For whatever reasons, it's so, never actually stated why. So uh, they just don't want them to advance. Yeah, perhaps they're afraid that humans will take over the galaxy. I don't know. Yeah. But so they send one of their own to Earth in the guise of Andrew Martin. And when he arrives on Earth naked as a newborn babe, um, he doesn't know anything about the humans. So basically, this book is a study of learning about humans through alien eyes, which is fascinating in the most part. Sometimes some things are a little obvious, but then I thought. If you're looking at this through alien eyes, it would seem odd. So it's quite interesting that the alien Andrew, for lack of a better term, because he doesn't have a name, um, starts to learn about humans through interacting with his wife and child and colleagues and basically goes on a journey from being a non-caring alien. So basically, that's the, the plot in a nutshell. I won't go, I won't go into it in great detail because it's um, it's more about the... More about the observation of the humans than the actual story itself, I, I feel, anyway. I, I thought it was an, an enjoyable read. Uh, it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go. I, 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 the, th- the thing I would compare it most to would probably be K-Pax. It was kind of K-Paxian in, in its outlook. Um, and in the same way that you see the eyes through... The, uh, other people through Robert Porter's eyes, you see the humans through the uh, alien's eyes. Does that make sense? I guess you have to have seen K-Pax. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad if you haven't seen K-Pax. Or read K-Pax, yeah. Oh, dear listeners, um, David has also read this book, and, and I, he sort of asked me about it before he started reading it, and I said to him, you'll either love it or you'll hate it, because there's no middle ground with David. Bets, bets, bets going to go. It's interesting that you said that, actually, it is, there is a middle ground. I found a middle ground. Oh, now, well. before I read this book... Um, uh, before I volunteered to read this book with Crystal, uh, I read a review. <laughs> <laughs> I just sacrificed it. I volunteered. Well, to I wanted to read. I wanted to read the other one. <laughs> we, we jumped in, so uh, so it was it was me with this one. Now, actually, I read a review of it. Unfortunately, I read a review that was that was quite negative. So and so it sort of it put me in the wrong mindset of, of, for for reading the book because I mean I didn't really want to read it to start with, and then I read the review and I was like, this is going to be terrible. Like Crystal said, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. So I started off reading this almost wanting to hate it. I was like, well, if, if what this reviewer said is true, this is an absolute disgrace. And it's like, why am I reading this abomination? It's really quite quite primal. <laughs> um, and it's really, it's not that bad at all. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Um, it's, it was... It was okay, but there's still there is still one one particular plot point about this book that I'm actually that I really don't like at all. Um, and it's I mean I, I could possibly I guess it's a spoiler I suppose, but basically as as Crystal said that the the alien comes down to Earth and becomes this guy this professor guy. In order to do that though, it's very body snatches. Basically, the professor dies. 
So, but right at the start of the book, the guy is killed in order for this alien to become him. And that really offended me for some reason. It's like, it's like, why, how is this, this is, you've got this novel about how it's wonderful to be human and humans are wonderful and life experiences and all that sort of, you know, fancy rubbish. But it's, <laughs> but it starts with a murder of a totally innocent person. Yeah, but that goes towards the alien, the alien has no emotions or whatnot at the start. If he, if he was the person he was at the end of the book, yeah. the professor wouldn't have died. So I guess, I guess that's why I didn't hate it in the end. Mm-hmm. So if it, if, if that hadn't been resolved it, it, by the end of it, then I, it would have been in the I hated it camp. Because mm-hmm. by the end of it, yes, you've gone through all this, you know, these wonderful things to be humans. There's, the, there's a really, like, his relationship with his his, net, his Earth son, um, I, I think, is probably the best. And, yes. and uh, you know, it's got a bit with the dog. I mean, to explain the dog, um, there, there's a family dog and he's quite ill and he uses his powers to heal the dog. And, you know, they form this relationship and all sort of stuff. Couldn't stand any of that. It was like, you know greeting card written rubbish and i was like my god it's like watching an episode of bondi vet turn to 11 it's nice i like it's terrible it. i was yeah. like this is this is really it's hammered me in my face it's also not very original that's starman yeah it was really irritating me um, but but then it's sort of if he gets into a relationship with his son his son's quite troubled he's you know he's, he's a teenager and, and and it turns out that this the the guy that he's replaced wasn't a very nice person. I mean, he was a to really. Say the least. He, was a, he was not very good. He was a narcissist. Um, and so I'm not saying he deserved to die. I mean, it's still even that annoyed me because I was like, well, it basically it's basically trying to now make excuses for why he was, you know, why yeah, he was to, to justify to how justify he could murder this guy. Anyway, so it really, really, it quite offended me. But yeah, but through the relationship with his son and through, you know, like I said, all the you know the humans are good and all that sort of stuff. It, you know, eventually I started to like it. I mean, despite myself, I started to like the book because it's written, it's it's an easygoing way. You know, there's no big words. It's, it's you know, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's quite enjoyable in, you know, its sort of philosophy and the whole sort of fish out of water type stuff. It's very Starman. Mm. I mean, it's a blatant ripoff of Starman, which does it much better. I mean, at least Starman has the decency to take over someone who's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to kill someone to do it. But it is, I mean, and Starman does it does it better. But it, it has that same sort of vein, um, and uh, and in the end, in the end, I actually, you know, didn't mind it. People die. I don't see why that's such an offensive thing. No, no, he, he didn't die of old age. He was killed. Yes, <laughs> he was murdered in cold uh, blood. How many, how many horror stories have you read where people get killed left, right, and centre? That's, and that's, the, that's exactly my point, though. In the horror, in the horror stories and stuff, people die, and that's fine. I'm not adverse to murder in, on the screen or in the book. What I'm adverse to is a book that's trying to be a feel-good, happy-go-lucky novel that starts off with someone being blatantly killed. Yes, but sometimes in feel-good, happy novels, bad things happen. <laughs> that's what makes the good things seem much but, better. The, the whole idea of the murder, though, is that act does it actually come back? Discussing no, no. The guy's dead. It, no, no punishment for it. No, no, no retribution. No. Nope. Right. Well, so no guilt. Just is there be, any guilt? Be... <laughs> At least does he no. feel bad about doing no, it? No, he doesn't even feel Could bad it? about it because now he's got himself a wife and a son. Oh right. He does feel bad. Isn't that more of a? Although it's never actually. No, I do need to point out that he didn't specifically kill. No, it's not. It's not actually. It's not actually said who who killed the professor. He was just sent there to um. To be the professor, so he yeah. may not have killed him at all. He might not have killed him at all. That's a good. Uh, so yeah, but so like I said, despite despite my uh, initial uh, trepidation, it actually, it actually is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's got it's you know it's, it's got a, a feel good nature that isn't too cloying by the end. It's, it, I mean, it starts off except for the dog. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It starts off with it starts with the dog essentially. That's how right. he's, he's, and and it's like oh, 
come on. But then you know, eventually, through working through this sun, it sort of you know works out a bit better. And I do I do like the fact that um, there's a there's a there is a particular plot point involving one of his students. And I do like the fact that that goes to its to an interesting progression. Like it, it's mm. I mean it's pretty obvious that something's oh, I don't want to give, I, I don't want to give it away. But there's I mean it, it, I thought it was going to lead to a certain sort of to a certain scenario, and it doesn't. It actually goes to the opposite of that scenario. And which then leads to some some more sort of interesting stuff. I thought that was quite good. Yeah, it leads to him learning more about what's right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So despite my my rant, it was actually it was it was I didn't mind it in the end. I didn't I didn't think it was a waste of my time. Um, but it's not something I would pick up again, and it didn't really uh, lead me to want to read any more of Mister Haig's work. To be honest with you, uh, so I give it a two out of five. I would give it a three and a half out of five. I found it uh, an enjoyable read. Um, it was um, different to what I've been reading lately. I've been because we've been reading lots of stuff for the podcast. It was it was slightly uh, out of the box that what we've been reading. So I really enjoyed the discussion we've just had. I mean, and it's an interesting uh, working at looking at the different angles of the books from different angles of our, of our own and, and probably discovering bits about it now that we didn't think of earlier. So that was really good. I appreciate that. Cool. There you have it, people. The Humans by Matt Haig. Avoid. No! <laughs> Stephen said it's good. Read it. Stephen's not or, always right. I'm here to tell you. Go and watch Starman or read They're a Weird Mob. They're effectively the same story. Yeah, yeah. Starman did it better. Cool, that was awesome. So, well, as we normally do, we'll reveal the books for our next Dust Jacket episode. Uh, one of them will be one from Richo, and one will actually be my pick. Uh, so Richo's one is... Okay, my pick is Roadside Picnic by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky. Cool, so and uh, my book, uh, my pick will be uh, the first book of David Edding's Elenium trilogy called The Diamond Throne. One of my all-time favourites from my childhood. <laughs> Back when I was a kid, yeah. so good books. <laughs> Great thing is, you don't need to really see the review because you know the score that Dave's going to give it. <laughs> well, whoever's reading it with me, they, they might not like it. Who knows? Uh, and, and you he, might, you might not like it anymore. It good. might turn out to be not anywhere near as good as you remember it being. Exactly. Like you know, good. like watching the A Team in uh, 2013 or 14. Oh, the A Team's still good. Maybe <laughs> uh, the A Team. Lots of action, the action. <laughs> when not one gets hurt. Ah, beautiful. Cool, so that was uh, so that's the Dutch Jacket, so let's move on to our reviews. First up, we've got Crystal, and she'll be reviewing... Madness, a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm doing a five-minute dust jacket, rather than a popcorn junkie. Kate Richards, who is actually a trained doctor currently working in medical research, has written this book, Madness, a Memoir. And um, while I wouldn't say it's a light read, it's also not going to bog you down and you not, it's, you won't find it as long to get through. But the reason I don't, say, I don't say it's a light read is because the opening scene starts with her trying to cut her own arm off. We've all been there. It's a Saturday night. Did you have a Did you have a bionic arm handy? Because you know, I'm that's no, 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 no. See, this is a non-fiction novel. And a non-fiction novels? A non-fiction novel. Um, okay, so basically, what this book is is her recollections, and because she's she's kept notes throughout her life. I think it's about fifteen years worth of her life um, of 
being made basically it, it, it's a good uh, if you've not had any troubles in your own mind um, not had any mental issues this book would be a good way to look at what actually goes on in the mind when you're experiencing issues so it's so it's basically you're her she's writing that's in the first person um and you're experiencing along with her what's going on in her head like i say it starts off with her trying to cut off her own arm and just in the deadened no emotional way she does it uh, obviously this gets her committed and her experiences in the hospital, um, her experiences with the medical staff. Uh, it sort of shows off how you don't get a lot of own say in your own treatment. Then she sort of gets periods when she's better and she's functioning and she's working. She lives on her own, by the way, at least at the beginning of the book. She picks up a flatmate or two later on down the road and it just, just works through her not being diagnosed properly, um, she first started having problems as a teenager. She sort of tried to repress these problems, these thoughts, because she'd hear voices in her head. She tried to repress these by, while she was having just ordinary conversations with her friends on the phone, she'd start stabbing herself so she could train herself to make herself look calm on the outside while she's fighting stuff on the inside so people wouldn't know. So that's, that's an interesting because I'd never quite understood self-harm before, but that, that kind of made it click for me why that might work. So you t- you go on this journey with her through the mad times, which if you're reading a, a novel and it sort of go, gets a bit surreal, you sort of go with that and you're in that sort of story. It's kind of like that if your mind turns into that, it all seems normal to you. It doesn't seem normal to the people on the outside. But you're spouting this gibberish that people would seem perfectly fine to you, but people on the outside are going, um, there's something a little bit wrong with you. So it's a good illustration of the way uh, your mind can be your own enemy, mm. basically. By the end of the book, she still has issues, obviously, but she's medicated, she's worked through uh, her issues with a psychologist so a psychologist because the psychiatrists she tends to see basically all ask the same questions and want to basically get her out of the office and the next person in but the psychologist spent years working with her and um helped her become helped her understand what is normal and work at being a normal person so basically if you're in any way interested in mental illness and trying to understand what it's about or if you have had your own mental illness and struggles um i recommend this book as a a good read Uh, i i really like the cover just graphically it's it's sort of covered in a lot of scribblings and it's um if you open up you can see on the back it's the scribbling of a mad person because it comes right through to the other side (laughs) um yeah highly recommend this book i give it four and a half looks yeah sounds interesting too it's good cool awesome let's move on to Look, um, I'm actually going to review Green Lantern Season 1, which should actually just be called The Complete Green Lantern because there is no Season 2. You mean Green Lantern, the animated series? The animated series, yes. The, for those of you who don't know, Green Lantern is the story of Hal Jordan, um, a, t- a test pilot who um, discovers the body of Abe and Sir, uh, a Green Lantern who discovers that Hal has in fact the fearlessness required to carry on the Green Lantern tradition, and so Green Lantern is given a power, uh, Hal Jordan is given a power ring, and 
you know, is inducted into the Green Lantern Corps. That's just backstory. You don't actually get that in the animated series. What you start off in the animated series is um, a threat to uh, the wider cosmos, on the, starting on the fringes with the Red Lantern Corps. Tal and his best buddy Kilorg go and investigate with the assistance of the AI on board the spaceship spaceship that they're up. They've uh, commandeered. Commandeered <laughs> being we'll um, the best best choice of words um, in an attempt to go and face um, the threat. However, along the way, they actually do meet. A re- they encounter at first fight, but then slowly bring in um, a, a Red Lantern called Razor who is actually getting over the um, the loss of his uh, wife that allowed him to um, give in to his rage and become a Red Lantern. Um, and with the assistance of uh, Razor, Aya, and other bits and other, you know, characters from the Green Lantern mythos, um, eventually overcome um, the Red Lantern the Red Lantern threat. And then when the Manhunt... Then they have to face the Manhunters in the second part of Season 2. And also, you know... With um, using the group, use, use them to um, to bring down the Manhunters, including the the Anti Monitor. On the on the whole, on the face of it, this is you know uh, a standard kids adventure sh- kids adventure show, lots of action. But the thing that sets this apart, um, first of all, very very respectful to the Green Lantern mythos. It brings in, like I said, the Red Lantern Corps, but you also get St. Walker and the introduction of the of the Blue Lanterns. We do get to meet Laughleys at one at. Um, at one point, the Star Sapphires come in. Sinestro appears as as a Green Lantern. We don't get Sinestro the villain, and also you know characters like Guy Gardner, the rest of the Green Lantern Corps, and also the Anti Monitor as um, as one of the bad guys. But the thing that really makes this series work, apart from some quite nice uh, Bruce Timm inspired uh, computer animation, is the relationship that exists between our four main characters. First of all, um, Hal and Kilowog have a nice buddy relationship. So first of all, the back and forth and the the easy friendship that the two have was quite nice, but also the relationship that they have with Razor and Aya. First of all, welcoming in a Red Lantern who should be their mortal enemy um, into their into their midst, and seeing the develop the friendship that actually does develop to the point where in the end of the season, which is the end of the series, where they have to say goodbye to Razor, there is it's actually quite touching. They all recognise each other as friends and comrades, and they will actually go and fight for each other if. The need arise, and the Hal and Kilowog say, "If you want, um, if you need a hand, we'll, we'll we will be there for you." Um, but also the relationship that exists between Razor, the Red Lantern, and Aya, an artificial con- the artificial construct on the ship, who having um, read Razor, who having read Razor's mind through means that I talked about in the series, constructs a body um, to, ref- to look like Razor's dead wife, and through that they actually start to begin begin a bit of a quite uh, stormy relationship. But that's actually quite interesting to watch, to see Razor feeling for this co- for this construct, but actually denying it at several parts, which proves to be quite an interesting plot point given at the end of the season. Um, which is actually, you know, for uh, a kid's cartoon show, is actually not... Um, it's not really done... It's not done either very well when it is, if at all. Um, so it's a, it was actually quite refreshing to see something that, whilst is still kids' show, is still trying to appeal to a more mature fan base, which is one of Bruce Timm's things. Um, he's the executive producer on this. Um, this series is a lot of fun. The action is the action is quite intense. It never really lets up, but there are, you know, some quite human moments. For instance, Guy Gardner does show up. He and Hale have a bit of a, a bit of a to and fro at at first, but at the end of the episode they actually do quite they do actually see the the um the potential of the other. Yes, it's a shame that 
first of all, this got it. This got it right when the um, the Green Lantern movie did failed on all levels to get it right. This is getting it right when the Green Lantern comic is failing to get it right in the post Johns era. And um, it's sad that it only got one season due to poor toil poor toil sales um, from the feature film. Um, I give this four looks, and if you can check, if you're Green Lantern fan, this is the one to go for. Villain at the end of the Anti Monitor. In the second half. In the second half of the season. Yeah. It's developed into. How do they possibly beat him? Um, um, there, it there takes are ways. the entire DC universe to pull it there off. There are ways, and I don't yeah. want to say it because the, it, it, because it actually gets quite. It yeah. actually becomes quite interesting and reflect yeah. and gets yeah. back to the sense the, the relationship that occurs yeah. between our main characters. So I actually don't want to give that away. Suffice it to say, it's a it's a very different take on the Anti Monitor mm-hmm. because they're trying to tie it sort of more just into the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern universe rather than so the, the Guardian DC. Yeah, like they, they tie the Anti-Monitor's origin very closely to the Krona story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say one thing quickly. What this proves, though, is that Warner, Time Warner and Warner Brothers specifically should have, when they were developing all their film franchises, should have just gone to Bruce Timm. Hmm. Oh, said, that goes without saying. So just, give, just hire Bruce Timm as their story consultant, get him to develop it, and you'll probably have box office gold. So what are you reviewing, David? <laughs> Come gather round the fire, everybody, and listen to David's review. So for my review, thanks to Madman Entertainment, I'll be reviewing The Raid and Raid 2. You know, I'm, I'm doing a bit of a sneaky and having two, two reviews in one, but it makes sense because, you know, it's, a, it's the sequel the other and the story progresses through. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that ain't right, man. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> They're both Indonesian films uh, directed by Gareth Evans, uh, who is... A British man, I do believe. Yeah, I don't former, know sure. former foreign minister. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, it was him. Um, anyway, and uh, I won't go through all, all the actors, but it, it stars, both films star uh, Aiko Uwais, um, who plays Rama. Uh, and the first film deals with, uh, Aiko is a, a member of the Indonesian police force, uh, most, more specifically the, the SWAT team. Um, and he's just, he's a martial arts masterpiece. I mean, he's just, he's, is unbelievable. Uh, and uh, anyway, so the first film basically deals with uh, the SWAT team infiltrating a office build, a, a building, um, like a derelict building where a drug kingpin is residing. So if if it sounds familiar, it was used as the plot for the uh, film Judge uh, Dread, the film Dread, and uh, and they both have their pros and cons. I don't I don't uh, say anything bad about Dread because of that. You know, it's a cool idea. Why not? Uh, but basically, but this it is essentially just uh, an hour and a half of action, action, and then just when it got a little bit boring, they threw in some more action. It's is <laughs> ridiculous, uh, and it's and it, it's a really interesting, really interesting sort of take on 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 an action film in the terms that it basically is there's there's not really all that all that much characterization except for Rama himself, um, who isn't even in charge of the team. Uh, and the drug kingpin itself. So it has that sort of that that sort of more popular thing nowadays, where the main villain gets a lot of personality. So that you sort of you, you kind of can't not really sure who you're rooting for, sort of deal. Um, it also throws Rama's brother in there as a little mix. And they basically they they sort of fight their way up each floor in order to, to get to get to the end. Uh, it's it's cool 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 stuff. It, it really it was a, a box office smash in uh, in Thailand um, in the, sorry in Indonesia. Um, and uh, it's, it's huge around the world as well. It was released here uh, uh, through Mad Mad Entertainment. Um, Sounds a bit like a video game. They've got to go each level. Yeah, mm. yeah. It was it was very it was very it much so. It definitely has it's, that feel. It's basically it. it's 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 a return to form for the martial arts film. 
then uh, they crank it up to 11 for the Ray 2. The Ray 2 actually, story-wise, follows directly on from it. It's like it's like two hours later uh, it follows on, and um, Rama, who's almost, he's, uh, he's one of only a few survivors of the SWAT team, uh, is brought into the undercover side of police work and is is basically forced and he really has no choice in the matter to go into prison um, in order to become friendly with a crime lord's son in order to then infiltrate the crime the crime family he's told he's only going to be there for a couple of months tops he's there for about five years <laughs> he's not happy about it <laughs> but you know what can you do um it is uh he then he then uh, becomes part of the family um, and uh, he becomes a, a trusted sort of enforcer, sort of works his magic from within. I don't want to give I don't want to give it too much of a way. I mean, unlike unlike the raid, the raid one doesn't really have much of the way of plot. Let's face it, it is kind of like a video game, like Crystal mm. said. Uh, raid two is very much involved in the story, and basically, really, what was going on behind the scenes, uh, and uh, it's it's really a step up in terms of acting for uh, Iko um, and uh, and for his character Rama. Uh, it's, I mean, basically, he's in prison for years and years and years. I mean, he can't tell his family where he is. He, you know, he barely gets to speak to them. It's really quite quite harrowing for him. Uh, in terms of the action, though, which, let's face it, which is why you watch these films, it's mind-blowing. I, I just can't stress that enough. It's mind-blowing of just how amazing these scenes are. There's one fight scene... That goes for seven minutes. Oh my god! Now that doesn't that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like much, right? but seven minutes in film time. That's unbelievable. Oh. At no point does it get boring. At no point is it is it's it's it's, it's unbelievable. It's in, in terms of its choreography and uh, just the dedication to to getting it right is is unbelievable. And uh, it's and that is actually the it's one of the I think it's the final so it's the confrontation between uh, Rama and and the main main henchman bad guy and unfortunately throws in a bit of cheesiness with uh, some sort of kill bill style henchman type thing uh some type people which you know one guy kills people with by hitting a baseball into their face and stuff it's like yeah <laughs> you know it's all it's you know they are they are what they are uh but every single fight that rama is in is just is just amazing and there's also uh, a sort of a, a sort of like a little mini plot involving um, who you think is a homeless guy, but he turns out to be like the greatest assassin in the history of assassins or something. And it's just, it is just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, not for Crystal's taste, obviously. <laughs> Look at Crystal's face. I can imagine. Also, we're going to watch these both tonight. <laughs> I can imagine myself saying the action was scenes went too long. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Uh, so I highly recommend it. It's um, they, they are actually they're not only just good action films; they are actually good films. Raid 1, I'll give 4 out of 5. Raid 2, I'll give 4.5 out of 5. Magnificent stuff. Check them out. So let's finish up with Coming Soon. In Australian cinemas, August 7th, we get And So It Goes, Begin Again, and The Guardians of the Galaxy. So First two, who cares? So <laughs> when you say And So It Goes, all I can think of, So Say We All. <laughs> And when you say go to this guy, oh, I think it's, I think it's a romantic comedy or something. Yeah. I prefer my yeah. version. Begin my again. Version oh, Begin again is definitely a romantic comedy. Mm. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, elderly elderly people you know, rekindling their love or something. And uh, it's but yeah, and but, you know, yeah. going into the galaxy, I'm I'm interested because you know it's got the lead singer of Mouse Rat. <laughs> Are you sure it's Mouse Rat this week, though? No, it's now Mouse Rat. They now right. call it Mouse Rat. I fell down the hole. I fell in, so, in the pit. So Platt is pit. from is from Guardians. Yeah, he's, uh, he's from Parks and Recreation. Uh, I, only, I only know him from the Lego Movie. Every time I see him <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy, all I'm going to be thinking is I fell 
down with the pit <laughs> which is the song that he's paying <laughs> that's, that's awesome uh, but anyway so Guardians of the Galaxy it's going to be huge we'll be reviewing it so that's it for that's it for episode 103 that's it from me and the crew Richard yes I am Richard let's pause some more before we go to Luke <laughs> I find this episode Douglasy. <laughs> not Adams-esque no I like Douglasy. Douglasy. And Krista. I love the sudden William Shatner form of delivery we've taken on there. <laughs> Space. The final... Bye! <laughs> You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to... Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.